you need to coach people, you need to develop people, you need to work with people, right? And so um, kind of to your point, we really had no process and structure around that. And you, you have this like, well, don't you just know how to do it, right? Like that's the ultimate trap of the entrepreneur is that you figure things out and you think that everyone else is going to operate that same way or that they can do it as fast as you can. And the growth and development of people through osmosis is like training that's like stage one, right? In how companies train and develop people. Welcome to episode two of Managing the Way, a show that exists to help you, the manager, build a great team. Now today I'm talking with Mike Harris, who's the co-founder and CEO of Worksighted, an IT services company that has a core value of scoop your own dog poop. Now, we talk about how they got to that core value and their other core values and some of the trends that he sees in the current workforce and what that means for creating engaged teams. So let's jump right into the interview with Mike. Well, today we have Mike Harris, who's a CEO and founder of Worksighted here in Holland, Michigan. And um, I have to note that you guys are seven-time Inc. 5000 winner mm-hmm. and seven-time uh, best and brightest companies to work for, as well as TEDx speaker, um, entrepreneurial organization, I think, um, mm-hmm. co-chair at one point. So you come with a lot of credentials, but a lot from sweat equity and things that you've done right and wrong and a long road. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, definitely a lot of uh, what I've learned is just through you know, my own bumps and bruises and getting knocked down and picking myself back up again. So, yeah. So you started the company Worksighted in 2001, right out of college. Mm-hmm. So I want to, and, and since then you guys have grown to about a hundred employees today. Yeah. We're about 80 right now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, so that's a long time span. Mm-hmm. And so I know that you've spoken a lot on um, culture, on how to manage millennials and what's changing the workforce. So maybe could you tell the story about when you started the company especially as you started to hire employees mm-hmm. and you guys are, you guys have a lot of like really cool core values and some things you do now, but tell me about like when it was like, when you didn't have any of that and you're just trying to bring people on like, yeah, 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 for sure. Um, yeah. So we started the company, uh, 2001. Uh, so I, we actually technically founded the company in September of 2000. So I was just finishing up college when we founded the company and, um, started it, you know, in the basement of the parents' house. You've probably heard the story. (laughs) Um, Started in the basement of the parents' house. Everyone always asked, where'd you get the orange from? And it was because of the orange shag carpet that we had down in the, down in the basement there. So, um, so that kind of stuck with us, uh, the whole time. Um, but yeah, as far as how did we get going and how do we start uh, hiring employees? You know, I think that, um, you know, one of the things I've learned is that we've gone through different stages uh, and I think we're in a, you know, it's kind of an exciting time and a fun time to uh, have this conversation because I think at 80 to 100 employees, it's a new stage. It's a new kind of plateau that you have to change and evolve to go through. Uh, So I would say we're living in change even right now. Uh, so it's kind of fun to look back and see like what's worked, but those early employees, um, you know, it was, boy, I'm trying to think how many employees we had. I think we had probably five employees before, like we took our first paycheck and things like that, you know, out of the company. So it was really a lot of, um, who do I know? Who's my friend and who can I hire that we're going to, have a really good time working really hard and doing the things we're doing. And that was pretty much the basis and criteria. Yeah. Like you were, you were smart. Uh, <laughs> you were my friend <laughs> and we like to drink the same kind of beer. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, you, you are hired. Like that was the job interview. So, 
So did you think that naturally creates a certain company culture because you already identify on those other <laughs> levels? Because I don't think that's too dissimilar from most companies, right? Like that's who you hire is people you know, but you're not necessarily hiring for, I mean, you're kind of hiring for culture fit, but you know, you, you kind of get the culture based on those first five employees, right? They are the culture, right? Yeah. And so um, that's actually a really, a really great question because I think I've been asked before, what were some of the, um, like, why were we successful? Because really, there's all these things that we did that should have kind of not worked, according to the textbook. Like, you start a company focused on technology in the year 2000 is, like, not the best time to do <laughs> no. it. Um, you know, you're 22 years old, and you've got zero experience. Uh, banks don't want to touch you. You don't have any money or funding. You're in the basement of a house. You've got no street cred. Like, it is a recipe for a yeah. total disaster. I've never taken a business class. I've still never taken a business class in my life. Um, it, it kind of shouldn't have worked, right? Yeah. Um, but yet it did. And to your question, in, we've culture and the people that have worked for us have allowed us to bridge gaps that other companies fall into. Because when you have the right people and you have the right culture, you, you, can, you can push to 125% and, and step over a gap, right? While you might not have all the systems and processes, right? You can get over it and then you can figure it out and make it better and faster, you know, you know more efficient as you move forward. So what we had early looking back, um, merely by chance was trust. We had trust early. The 50 year old that goes and starts a company, cashes in their 401k, they don't go hire their friends, mm. right? Yeah. There's a very different relationship to the later to 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 a to the typical startup, right? Most people they don't start businesses that young. They wait until they're a little more established and they have a right. little more whatever and they got more money and they're more financially sound. It completely changes the criteria around which you make decisions. Well, I didn't know any better and I had nothing to lose. So yeah. it was like, yeah, cool, you're my friend. You can come work for me. I trust you. Mm. That early trust really became the culture, you know, became the basis of the culture and um, allowed us to attract more people that we trusted, right? Mm. And so just this, this concept of trust was just super, super critical early. Yeah. And it's by design that you're saying. It's not like you, it was by design by your age. It was and by then, accident, yeah. if I'm honest. <laughs> well, well, I guess I, I should say based on the circumstance you were in, yeah. it naturally gravitated towards that because that's all you had, right? Correct. Just the people that you knew, yeah. which you naturally trusted yeah. already. You yeah. had to convince somebody to work for you. Yeah. And it's not a very compelling argument to say, do you want to come work for me? I have no product or service. I have no money. I have no nothing, but why don't you come work for me, right? Yeah. So, but we had trust. And you know, I, I kind of commented earlier, I think we were at at least five employees before we started, you know, taking, before, you know, any, any owner started taking any kind of paycheck out of there. And so again, built trust yeah. and the people that work for us understood that it was really about the relationship. It was about what we were trying to build and it was about creating a company that we wanted to go work at every friggin' day, yeah. right? That was the basis for the culture. It was what kind of place do I want to walk into every day and go have fun? Whether we're in the basement or an office building or whatever, we wanted to have fun. And yeah. if I'm not having fun, why am I doing it? Yeah. So. Sounds simple enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, that was about it. So. Yeah. <laughs> so then, so you get five employees and then you start to scale up from there. Mm -hmm. And when did like stuff start to hit the fan, so to speak? Uh, if it ever, you talked about stages. You know, you said, well, now we're at a stage of 80 to 100. Mm -hmm. What was that first stage that you had to get over 
past the five employees? Like, when was it like, oh, we got some people in here that we hired that we didn't really know, so they mucked up the culture a little bit? I don't know. Yeah, I'd say when we got to a, a just about 10. Then we brought in some folks. We had a small acquisition we did, and uh, we brought in we brought in folks that came from another culture. Mm. They came from another company, right? And it was it, it really kind of changed the dynamic. Ultimately, I think for the good, right? Because we did we, they were they ended up being great fits for our culture, and uh, actually, all those people I think all still work for the company today. Um, but I was right around ten when we. You, when we started to realize that, okay, we, we have to start doing something a little bit different. We need to bring in, um, you know, we can't just grow organically, right? Like we're going to, we're going to, we're going to bring in some new customers through small acquisition and see where that takes us, et cetera, et cetera. So I'd say it was right around 10, um, when all of a sudden you don't have the trust, right? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden now, You've left a company you've worked at for however many years. Now you're going to work for Worksighted and a bunch of young punks, um, you know, <laughs> and, and what do they know about what they're doing? We just didn't have the trust. And so that changed the dynamic definitely for the first time. And that, that was the, probably the first hurdle that I'd say we had to get over after, you know, what I would call stage one. Stage one's definitely, you know, one to five employees. Getting, getting when you have no capital, building the cash flow to fund even just your first employee is is a very painful process. So. Yeah. So then tell me about maybe a failure in that going to that stage two when you buy the company. You said, okay, we, it's a different culture that they're mm-hmm. coming from. Mm-hmm. How was that personified, so to speak? So where did you have an instance where someone didn't trust or someone did something that betrayed some trust? You know, mm-hmm. give me some juicy details, Mike. About, <laughs> no, I mean because I think they people can relate to that, right? Yeah. You know, they can say, yeah, that happened to me, but I didn't. I didn't either know what to do about it, or mm-hmm. I didn't recognize that trust was the root cause of that, or mm-hmm. you know, kind of tell me a little bit about that the messy transition from that stage one to stage two? Yeah, I would say, um, hmm, I think there's probably, it's probably in a couple different buckets, right? I think it was in, um, when we went through that phase of kind of doing small acquisition and bringing in outside people, I think there, there, there's learning that has to happen there. Um, and there was probably, um, I can only speak from, you know, how, kind of how I experienced. Um, my failure there was, I learned really quickly there were some things from a maturity perspective that I was lacking as the leader and owner of a company, right? Mm -hmm. When you bring in people that have worked for an established company um, and they come in and they see how you're doing things, um, they push back because they know something different. They've seen something different. And that was a really good learning experience. I think it's a humbling experience when you realize that uh, when you've lived in this little like microcosm, that's all you know, and so you think everything's great. You bring in people from outside, and all of a yeah. sudden you realize like when somebody else shows up on the island, right? Yeah. It's like shit. I didn't really. I don't. Maybe <laughs> I don't know everything, yeah. right? And there was just a huge learning experience that happened uh, at that time. I also think um, learning experience number one when it comes to uh, equity, right? Mm. Company equity, right? When you're when you're small. And you don't have any, you don't have any money. You don't have anything to give anyone other than equity. Yeah. In the early stages, we, you know, we had multiple partners in the company, and it was a, it was, it was, right around, I would say, it was probably a, a year or two maybe before we did that first small acquisition, when um, 
we went through the process of having to exit an equity partner, um, which, you know, costs more money that you don't have. And yeah. not that we were very large at the time, uh, but again, that was a big learning experience for me where it, it's just, um, it was trust, right? So yeah. I gave trust easily yeah. and l- paid a price for it ultimately because it probably wasn't the best decision for me. Yeah. So. And that's humbling too then, right? I mean, that's, because that, that's a painful, the, the, when you talked about the microcosm and then mm-hmm. you invite someone in, how, how you respond to that is pretty key, right? Right. I mean, and then everyone sees that, mm-hmm. right? Everyone in the, in the company sees that mm-hmm. because you can have a knee-jerk reaction to that or you can say, yeah, we're going to learn from that or whatever. Absolutely. You yeah. either, if, they're, if, if you're going to extend trust to these people to be on your team, then you need to take their input and you mm-hmm. need to potentially adapt and change and realize you don't know it all. Yeah. Um, I definitely thought I knew it all, right? Yeah. And I, I'm not going to say I haven't fallen in that trap multiple times, yeah. <laughs> but uh, maybe that's just an entrepreneurial trait. Like I yeah, got this, I right? So. Shit, yeah. I don't yeah. got this. <laughs> and uh, but that was a humbling experience. We need to learn to take the input from folks and realize that they're on the team. They have my best interest in mind. They have the company's best interest in mind. And uh, so that was a that was a uh, kind of a lesson learned for me, definitely. So. Yeah. So then you said they came in and they had their um, maybe, let's say, best practices mm-hmm. or processes mm-hmm. that are kind of shining a light on your lack of processes, mm-hmm. which is natural in that stage. And then um, tell me about how you started to institute some of those, like some of those processes. Did you adopt some of what they were saying? Was it internal people saying we should do this? Did you get an outside coach? Mm-hmm. I mean, tell me about the getting more process around Worksighted. Yeah, I think some of it just came from... Uh, the realization that things could be done differently than the way you're doing them, right? So if you start to develop a method to do something and you don't know anything different, it's really the only way you can imagine that Mm. it can be done. And all of a sudden you begin to realize that, wait a minute, this could be done a little bit differently. And these people were doing it differently. And you bring those challenges in and it actually, frankly, helps push, I think, the entire, uh, helps push the entire team. Um, so you kind of have to be willing to pull those things in and say, I can see that you're doing these things differently, maybe better, maybe worse over here, but we have to adapt and change. Um, so, you know, we've never been, uh, I'm not a process person, I'll say, and everyone that works <laughs> for me knows, like, I'm not good with process. Uh, I'm really good with, um, I'm really good with taking a risk and starting things mm-hmm. and showing that, I can get from point A to point B. It might not be the straightest path. And then I give that to somebody else and they'll figure out how to make it, you know, have better process, more efficiency. But when you're small, um, you know, you're still at this stage where as the entrepreneur, you're the doer, you're, you're in all these different buckets, right? Yeah. So um, anyway. So no, that's that's a good point that you bring up. Saying I think you're, you're very, that's pretty normal for a, a founder and a CEO and especially of a small business to be like, they're a starter. They're the ones that are getting the boats off the shore. Mm-hmm. We might not necessarily know how the sales work. We kind of know we have sales. We have oars. Like, yep. yeah, we're going to get going in there. But then when you talk about scaling and then talking about management, which is the main topic of like this podcast, people need that process. Mm-hmm. And did you realize that as you got bigger, 
you realized that you needed to manage intently and get some of the process around to give your people what they need. Because that's, I think, a failure at the Mm -hmm. top most times because you're not process oriented. And then that just trickles down, right? Like Mm -hmm. that lack of process. Mm -hmm. And so tell me about that that journey. Absolutely. Um, We began to realize as the years went by and we got bigger and bigger that you need to coach people, you need to develop people, you need to work with people, right? And mm-hmm. so um, kind of to your point, we really had no process and structure around that. And you you have this like, well, don't you just know how to do it, right? Like that's the yeah. ultimate trap of the entrepreneur is that you figure things out and you think that everyone else is going to operate that same way or that they can do it as fast as you can. And the growth and development of people through osmosis is like training that's like stage one, right? In how companies train and develop people. Well, you know, Susie knows how to do that stuff because she worked alongside Sally for X number of years and and they got trained through osmosis. And so, but that's not very process driven. It's not very scalable. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when we started to get into that, um, that stage at, you know, a few million dollars, we began to hit that where, well, okay, now I need to hire these new people and I need them to learn and train faster and develop faster. And they can't do it because we can't give them our playbook. We can't tell them this is exactly how we do it. This is how we execute. They need to spend all this time alongside somebody else to kind of just like learn the tribal knowledge. And we had to kind of move from the stage of, you know, tribal knowledge to something a little bit, you know, more sophisticated. And as this company scaled, you know, we've gone through these different stages. And at some point, boy, probably five years ago, we finally said we need a business system, right? At this point, we're 35 employees, I'd say, or mm-hmm. something like that. And we said, we have to put some kind of a system in place because we have a vision. We don't know how to document it. We we, we have methodologies. We don't know how to share them with people. Yeah. We don't know how to put any of this stuff down in a way that we can actually share with the team because if you if you can't share your vision, then people don't know where the hell they're going, right? Yeah. And if they don't know how to get any traction, right, then you yeah. just kind of sit there and spin your wheels. So. And was that the, what was the pain or motivating factor where you're just like, we need a system? Was it like stagnating revenue? Was no, it, we haven't had that. So yeah. our, we've had, um, no, I think it was the fact that we, we actually have always been good at driving growth and driving yeah. revenue. And so what we actually experienced was that we've doubled the company about every three years since we started it, right? But when you start it with nothing, it's kind of, it's a slow process. Mm-hmm. But then I would say right about um, five, six years ago, we really just, it went hockey stick, right? And so what was happening was we were going from, you know, a million to two, two to four, four to eight, eight to 16. And it was like, you know, we're, we're hiring all these new people as fast as we can and recruiting as fast as we can and building the brand. And, um, you know, it, it was really that growth that we began to realize this is like chaos now, right? Where yeah. there's all these people in here, everyone's really motivated and wants to work <laughs> really hard. And we think they're good culture fits and things, but, um, nobody has the time. You, you've probably had it right when you, yeah. when you're, you're totally underwater and the only thing you want in the world is for somebody to hire somebody to help you. And then they hire the person to help you. And you're like, somebody just threw a bowling ball into my, <laughs> into my hands right yeah. and now. I'm sinking. Yeah. I'm sinking because I don't, I have to teach this person how to do this stuff. So things kind of, you go through that stage, right? When things kind of get harder, right? Before they get better. Uh, so for us, it was really that rapid revenue growth. Yeah, yeah. As our brand took more shape, um, it was clear that the market wanted to consume the, you know, the product and the service that we were, uh, we were putting out. It was really the back end processes that, um, we, we really couldn't keep up with and we, and we had to figure out how to scale. So, yeah. 
And in that time, what did you guys see in terms of management and hiring and process that maybe changed in the workforce? Because one of the things I know you spoke before on, I think your TEDx talk talked about kind of managing millennials, mm-hmm. some of the needs that have changed. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned that you know, as entrepreneurs or just as business owners, there's things you just do because you think they're the best way to do them. Mm-hmm. So that, that that limits that can limit your knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then outside things come in, whether it's like new workforce comes in or some process or something else mm-hmm. that changes that. So mm-hmm. I wonder if you could just kind of speak a little bit to what you're seeing in the workforce and what's changing, how that's driving yeah. your process and how you guys are functioning. Yeah. So uh, brand. Um one of the things that has shifted even just in the time since we started the company over the last, you know, 19 years <clears throat> is really the fact that employees want to work somewhere that their beliefs align, right? They want to get up uh, in the morning <clears throat> and go to work for a company that believes what they believe, right? They want to wear the brand. And I cannot, I can't tell you the number of companies I think are missing the boat right now, even a, even a small business. Um I speak I, in manufacturing environments. I get asked all the time, like, what can manufacturers do, right? I'm in manufacturing and I'm fighting for quarters per hour to get employees and things like that. And I say, build a brand. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you do, build a brand, a really strong brand for your company that has a really clear message, right? And I use the phrase, I always use the phrase, let them wear the t shirts, right? Young workers want to work for a brand that aligns, that says something to the world about who they are, right? And, and I joke all the time about the analogy where when I was growing up, you, you knew when a driver passed you on the road, right? And sometimes they would, they'd go past you and they'd have that white Apple sticker in their mm-hmm. back window, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. And you knew right away, like, I know exactly who you are, right? Yeah, I know yeah. what you, I know yeah. exactly how you're wired and what you think. And we, we raised, you know, people to be so brand aligned that, you know, it, it's really critical, I think, to a younger worker to be able to say to the world, this is who I am, this is what I believe. Brand, really, really having just clarity around your brand, it it is critical in the kind of talent you're attracting, right? Mm. But also, you know, not just in the customers you're attracting, but the talent you're attracting. And it is really such a differentiator when it comes to how you recruit. Because if your brand is clear, then you bring in the right kind of people. And those people hang out with the people that are more are like themselves, right? Yeah. And, and so when I say the phrase, wear the t-shirt, nothing gives me more joy than when I walk in you know, a coffee shop on a Saturday and one of our people are there and they're wearing their t-shirts, right? Because yeah. to them, it's not just something they wear like a, you know, some uniform when they go to work, right? Yeah. It's, it says something to the world about like, this is who I am. Yeah. So it, that's just such a, a missed opportunity, I think, right now. But that's fluffy stuff, Mike. Like, you know, I'm a business owner. I got stuff to do, man. Like, I I don't have time for that. Like, I mean, those are the objections people have because they don't see the ROI in it. Yeah. So as you give these talks and you have these talks with these, maybe after the talk, Mm -hmm. you have, you talk business owners, you talk Mm -hmm. to leaders and companies and they're just like, yeah, right. That's a good, makes a good talk. Like how, what are the things that you hear them say? How do they go about doing that? You know what I mean? Like it's, Maybe it's fluffy, but I don't think it's that hard, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you can't, if the vision you have for your company and the, the type of worker you want to attract and the, 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 the message that your brand carries isn't concise enough that you can put it on a friggin' T-shirt, then you need to work on that, right? Yeah. And so when you talk about process, right, and bringing process into a company, 
it, it starts at, it really starts at vision, right? Is your vision clear? The other stuff's real and it's practical and people have to do it, but that is not what drives the thinking in the marketplace anymore. You don't think about you know, what kind of components are in the new version of the iPhone that you're going to go buy, right? Yeah. You care about what it can do. You care about the fact that it changes your life in some way, drives an outcome, right? Some kind of result that you couldn't get before. That's how millennials are wired. And as much as, you know, people might want, that might not want to accept it, they're the number one, you know, the largest generation in existence. And so, mm -hmm. you know, they're your employees, but they're your customers. And um, that is how the thinking works. And, you know, you used to buy a computer based on speeds and feeds and what the new version was. And now nobody cares anymore. We care about how it looks and how it performs and, and what's different about it. And that is how, you know, business is changing and evolving. You have to raise your, your thinking one level uh, from what it used to be. So, yeah. And so with Works Cited, you guys kind of went down that road day one because you said we want to create a business where we want to work mm -hmm. so that you, you kind of got into it right off the bat. Mm -hmm. But talk about the like reinvestment in it, re emphasis of it that you guys had. It sounds like that when mm -hmm. you guys hit, you know, 50 employees or, mm -hmm. or whatever that was. Talk about how you guys acknowledged that and then actually internalized it and then started to institute it. Mm -hmm. Well, um, it sounds silly, but simple things like writing, writing things down. Mm -hmm. um, we never had until probably five years ago. Um, and we, we probably were about, I'd say, 35 employees or 40 employees maybe when we finally started saying, well, what, are, what do we value here? And, and actually write that down. Um, how should how do we want people to operate and behave, right? Like kind of codifying our values and um, trying to really make it very clear what we're all about, right? And what kind of people are going to be successful here, but also for the customers, right? It's the more clarity your business has of itself, the more clarity your customers are going to get, right? And it becomes easier to sell. It becomes easier to make sure that you have a fit with your client, right? And yeah. so we actually started writing things down. Um, and so we did, I remember going through our core value process a few years ago with the executive team, and we, we'd probably been going around for like a year, right? Like, what are our core values? And write them down, and, you know, everyone... Well, their integrity and ethics and all this kind of crap, right? Yeah. Like that. What everyone says. Right, yeah. what everyone says. And I'm like, okay, because like you're going to hire people who like aren't ethical. You know, yeah. it's like, it's, that's like permission to get on the field, right? And I remember flying home from a conference on a, uh, you know, on the plane one night and I just started really thinking like, we've somehow or other managed to build a team that is really aligned and, you know, had this really sharp culture, right? When I feel, I think when you walk into our culture, walk into our building, see our people, there's like a clarity, like mm. this cutting sharpness to the culture. You can just feel it. Like that is totally worksighted right there, right? I'm like, what, what the hell is it? Because I didn't know. Like we just stumbled into it and we'd gotten there somehow. And I started to write down our values, right? And so you've probably read our values. They're, mm -hmm. a, little, they're mm -hmm. a little different than yeah. some of the other ones, Definitely. right? Like I'm most comfortable dressed as a superhero, yeah. right? I'm a unique piece to the puzzle. Yeah. I focus on today, but I dream about tomorrow. And I scoop my dog's poop, right? Yeah. And yeah. These, these values are like, they're more, they're values, but they're like behaviors, right? They're things that can get me out of bed in the morning, right? Mm -hmm. They're the things that all of our employees exhibit that help us understand whether or not you're a fit, 
right? Yeah. And but it's it we just said it in like everyday language. Like we said, you know, if you look at our values, uh, they're followed up by statements that help. Like here's what we mean by this, right? Yeah. Not just be ethical. Like okay, like that doesn't really that doesn't really filter anybody. You know, that doesn't really yeah. filter anyone out of the out of the data set, right? But when you say things like you know, you have to be someone who's, who scoops your dog's poop, you know, it's all about self-responsibility, but also responsibility for other piles of shit that you might find that you might not, that might not be yours, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what it's all about. Um, so anyway, writing down those values and then starting to be clear about the vision, right? Mm. Here's where we think we're going. Yeah. We're going to put it down on paper, not super complicated. Yeah. One piece, right? And then we're going to share it with us, share it with the team and get to the point where every employee can say, I've seen the vision, I know what it's about, I know where we're going, and I'm all on board with that, right? Yeah. So, Yeah, and I, what you, I like your core values because they're actually manifestations of those usually one-word mm-hmm. type core values. It's like, no, we're actually going to show you through a picture, like shoveling your dog's poop. Like, people can, like, see that and be like, either I'm that or I'm not that, you know? I don't want to do that. No, I want to be, like, a big big dog, big boss, you know? I don't want to have to be doing the little stuff. It's like, well, then you're not a fit here. Like, it's a natural disqualifier, which mm-hmm. I think is really cool. Well, and, and thank you, by the yeah. way. <laughs> and, um, you know, what is really, really powerful about starting to put some of these things down and, and get clarity is the, is the power that comes along with an employee working for cause, right? They want to work for a cause. They don't want a job. They want to work for a cause that influences the world in a way that is in alignment with what they believe in, right? And so it's the, um, you, I don't know if you've ever heard the story, they, you know, this may or may not be true, but, um, you know, um, I think it was like your JFK walks in the space center or something at the time when we were trying to, you know, put somebody on the moon and that you've heard, yeah, this, yeah, before. heard this before and yeah, the yeah. guy's sweeping the floor. Right. Yeah. And he says to the guy sweeping the floor, Oh, you know, what do you do here? And the guy answers with, I'm putting a man on the moon. Yeah. And that's somebody who works somewhere for a cause for something they believe in. You will never have to ask that person to go all in because they'll just do it. Right? Yeah. They'll always go at 120% because they love what they're doing. And it speaks to who they are as a person and the way they want to influence the world. Right? That right there is, is huge power in, in, in recruitment, in retainment, in you know, um, you know, how you're delivering service to your customer. And all that really involves, it doesn't involve like super expensive software and things like that. It just involves the leaders being clear about what their brand is really, really all about. So, you know, to the person who you said would initially ask the question, I would say, I guess if you want to be the one worrying about shipping widgets for the rest of your life, don't worry about your brand. But if you don't want to do that and you want to grow it and do something greater and bigger, you need to stop and spend a little time on that. Yeah. So. And it kind of got you, I mean, you said, how's that working out for you? Mm-hmm. You know, either they're, either they're not growing or they're losing people mm-hmm. or they don't have engaged people or no one's happy. Yeah. It's like, okay, that's obviously not working that yeah. well. So right? try something different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, tell me a little bit about, it sounds like um, some of these things that start at the top, they trickle down. Um, one of the things that we've found is that the, just the act of management, it, it's becoming more of kind of like a coaching model mm-hmm. where it's really like empowering your people. It's coming alongside them. It's it's not um, the old school like, you know, what I think it was GE that said we're gonna you know rank and fire the people like rank them and then hire you know just fire the bottom half. It's yep. like it's more like okay, how do we actually just empower the right people? Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about what you guys do in terms of like 
what are your managers doing on the front line, some of the practices that you, um, you know, just enforce in, inside your organization? Yep. So we're, we expect our managers to spend time with all their direct reports. They need to have one-on-ones, right? And they need to do it in a, at a cadence that makes sense. It, at, at most, weekly touch points, um, you know, but at least bi-weekly, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, they have to have a cadence. They have to be communicating regularly. There has to be some kind of weekly data flow, right? So we do, um, they'll, they'll do some kind of check-in, right, on a weekly basis. Here's, here's what I'm working on this week, right? And here's what's mm-hmm. important to me. Here's my objectives. Here's my struggles. And they might do that digitally and send it to their manager so, so that the manager has a sense of, like, what they're working on and what's happening. But then on a, you know, at least a bi-weekly basis, they have to sit down and they have to talk through things, right? And make sure that they're kind of coaching the employee and giving them the time in, to, to learn how to work through their struggles, right? You know, so that they can succeed. It's not just this, um, you know, millennials want to be coached, right? And and I'm old in my company, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Shocking old. though, yeah. I know, right? I'm old. And uh, you better say this. Yeah. Um, and, and the, you know, the younger workforce, they want to be coached. They want that one-on-one personal interaction, right? They want the personal investment, the investment of time, right, to help yeah. them understand what's their vision, right? So personal development plans have become a big thing for us where we're talking about, like, what's the best way for us to make sure, and we're not there yet, like, we're still figuring this out, what's the best way for everybody that works for us to have a plan, like you, you should have, just like the company has a vision and things we believe in and where we're going, mm-hmm. like what about you as a person, right? And do you know what your vision for yourself is? I almost always ask people that, interview question number two, like what's your vision for yourself? Like what, what do you, when you play the movies in your head of you in the future, like what's, what's going on in those things, right? And we want to help people understand like how do we see that and work backwards to figure out how to get you there? Even if that means at some point that you have to exit the organization because we can't get you there for a while, on your path, I want you to be with us and doing your greatest work, right? Mm-hmm. And then when that day mm-hmm. comes, then we navigate you, you know, you might have to go somewhere else. But if we understand where people are going, we understand the the entry and the exit, right? And we understand how to work together optimally during our time together. And when right. it's potentially time to say, I don't want you to get frustrated because you want to go here and that path isn't available right now. So okay, now we all understand what's next, right? And yeah. so that coaching is just super, super important. And they literally have to, you know, here's what we talked about, keep their notes, track it. And it does report up at the executive level. Like we know, um, we, we gauge our employees' pulse every week. Like what's their pulse? What's their scoring? Where's everybody at? We look at those metrics separately for new employees. So we make sure that like, you know, new employees are, are getting what they need and, and really getting kind of pulled into the fold. Um, but yeah, those, those scorecards, right? So as we've become more sophisticated, we manage by scorecard, right? So at the yeah. executive team, we have our scorecards we look at. And it's just red, yellow, green. If it's, if, if it's green, we don't talk about it. If it's red or yellow, then we need to look at that. So that's where we start to see, do we have managers who aren't doing one-on-ones or aren't spending time with employees? Um, that stuff's super, super critical. Yeah. So. And, how, and it sounds like some, that is dictated by the millennial workforce that you mm-hmm. guys are mm-hmm. hiring because mm-hmm. they want that coaching mm-hmm. dynamic and... It's, it's almost like a more sophisticated, robust um, execution of the, where do you see yourself in five years? You know, exactly. like interview question, which is like, okay, yeah, that's the starting point, but then what do you actually do with that? You, know, exactly. you actually have to develop a plan for them. Yeah, and what we're finding now, the bigger challenge is, okay, well, how do we systematically train new managers how to perform that task? 
That's, that's huge. The challenge. That and how is, are you guys doing that? <laughs> we're figuring it out, yeah. right? So um, you know, now we're we're working really hard to make sure that we have cohesion across all of leadership at both you know kind of mid level and top level. We're working together to really be more cohesive, and so we we are do. I think I mentioned you know kind of in the pre interview when we were chatting. We're, we're doing a lot more internal summits, right? So specific teams within the company. So we do our we do annual um, leadership summits now, where we bring the whole we bring all of our leadership team managers, anyone together, right? Mm-hmm. And we're bringing in outside speakers. We're bringing in uh, people they can ask questions to. We're connecting them. So we're using some of our connections as leaders within the company, bringing in other outside business people that they can ask questions to, right? And sometimes it's like. Uh, when you ask a question of your mom and dad, it's almost like you believe the answer more if it comes from a third party, right? Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> and, exactly. And, yeah. and so uh, <laughs> being able to ask him, and, and sometimes it's just creating a safe, a safe zone for them where they can ask questions of an experienced person who isn't, you know, part of the company, right, and yeah. get feedback. And so we've created these kind of leadership summits and things where we're trying to we're trying to work together to be a cohesive team so that we're really supporting each other, right? And because when somebody becomes a new manager, we want them to get really pulled into that fold and supported. Um, and, and it really, really is challenging, right, to, to become a manager. Um, it, there's a lot to it. And you just you you're you can never totally be ready, right, for yeah. all the different things you're gonna have to face and, and challenges yeah. that are out there. So Yeah. What do you find what are some preconceived notions you had about that manager uh, prep, so to speak, that were different as you started to do more of that stuff? Like so maybe you thought they needed, you know, A, B, and C, but they really needed something different and then you've retooled to address that. Yeah, I would say um, I found that they need they need specific tools. They mm-hmm. need spe- they need a specific toolbox. Mm-hmm. This is the methodology. Um, this is the form. You know, this is the software. This is the cadence. Like this is how we do it. Mm-hmm. They they need a methodology. And as I had mentioned earlier, like I'm not a process person. I'm not a methodology person. And so, yeah. for me, the the big aha was that they are learning to lead differently than I did. Like yeah. my experience was just different. And it's in many ways they've got it a lot harder than I do because I learned to lead one person at a time, right? Like, okay, I'll hire you. You're my friend. I'll learn to lead. You don't know any better, right? And so, yeah. you know, we, we kind of fumble our way through it. And now you promote somebody to become a manager and all of a sudden it's like, here you go. You're a leader. There's five people underneath you. You're in an existing organi- existing high-performance organization. Like, good luck to you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a scary place to be. Yeah. And um, you need to give them a tool set. You need to give them you know, support resources so that when they don't know what to do, it's okay for them to raise their hand and say, I'm not sure what to do here. I need some coaching. I need some support. Yeah. Um, and we're really trying to build systems, you know, to really, really, um, help those managers. So, yeah, no, that's great. I think that's, that's really needed, but it's such an ambiguous thing that they don't know how to provide. And a lot of what, what I've been just talking with people, a lot of people are trying to adopt legacy things, you know, mm-hmm. even like you see the abandonment of the annual performance review, like you just used to just check in once a year, like that obviously is not effective, mm-hmm. but people don't know necessarily what to replace it with. Mm-hmm. And it's dynamic. I don't think anyone has it hundred percent figured out. Right. I mean, nope. that's the whole nature of, of a generational shift, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, um, Definitely. Well, I don't know. Maybe other people have it figured yeah. out. I sure don't have it all figured out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're, we don't do annual performance reviews. I mean, we, the, the annual touch point 
is really just you know focused on things like comp and 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 benefits yeah. and things like that but it's almost a foregone conclusion like the annual touch point really isn't the meat and potatoes of the relationship it's mm-hmm. the weekly and quarterly touch points that are where we make sure if you're if if you only talk to somebody once a year and they get off the rails like like that's kind of stupid, right? Yeah. Because, and we always did, we for a long time did the same thing, right? Because yeah. they get off the rails, they don't know it and you, you need to bring them back. And so if you're touching base all the time, not only do you know the things they're working on, the things they're struggling with and where they need help, right? And what their objectives are and you know how to support them, but you, you really like, you're able to address things right away and talk about them right away. Mm-hmm. And it, it equals a lot less problems and when there if there ever does have to be tough conversations because that's probably another thing another area that it's really hard to learn to train managers how to address tough conversations because tough conversations need to happen and and, um you know um we put them off often right too long because we don't want to have them and then they turn into giant festering you know wounds um you know those are things that if you're talking all the time when there is a tough conversation, it shouldn't be a surprise, mm-hmm. right? The person yeah. should know it's coming. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, speed of decision-making is another thing. You know, that's a big thing. We're, you know, um, as a company right now, going through the, you know, changes that, that are kind of preceding this next level of growth for us, and speed of decision-making is a, is a big change. We kind of fell into the trap of... Um, we have to have everything planned out before we start to move and execute. And we're... we're acting much more like a, you know, agile software company now, right? Where it's, Mm. okay, if I have enough information, if I need, you know, if I need to go west, you know, if if I'm going to drive to the mountain over there, I need to go west, like I can jump in my car and start driving west. You can pull the map out while I'm driving and figure out like what exits I'm going to need to take and like, let's go, right? Right, Let's let's course correct as we go. We had started to fall into the trap as we got bigger and bigger that like, okay, well now we we really got to make sure we have all these decisions figured out and everything. We know exactly how this is going to work before we do anything. Because you don't want to screw it up or what? Right. Why do you think that was? Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, you don't want to screw it up. All these people are watching us. Like, what if we make a bad decision? Da, 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 da. And yeah. you know what happens when you start to feel like you got to have everything planned out and figured out? Yeah. And nothing. That's yeah. what happens. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing happens, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's this, it's the, it's the speed of decision making. You know, uh, a good decision has uh, actually like a really short half life, right? Mm-hmm. A good decision becomes less good really quickly if you don't mm. make it, right? Yeah. Whereas a bad decision has a really long half-life. It stays a pretty friggin' bad decision for a long time, right? Yeah. And so you need, to, you need to act quickly when something looks like the right decision. If you have enough information, make the decision and move, and then course correct right after it if you yeah. have to, rather than waiting. And working with managers and helping them understand how to do that, because you can't... Vi- most of the decisions in your organization are not made by you, whether yeah. you know it or not, right? They're right. Made way down the chain by a mi- there's a million of them made a day. So the key to rapid decision-making is how do you train all these other people to make decisions rapidly, to move and course correct? Yeah. You know, this is where, you know, I tell them all the time, it's okay if you fail. If I trust you, right? It's the, you talk to Ted Talk, it's like my car analogy, right? Like, yeah. right? Like, yeah, exactly. When you borrow a car from somebody, how do you drive it? Right, pretty well. <laughs> right, you drive it. You drive it really well. Right, yeah. you use your. You're super safe about yeah. it. Right, and so you're probably more safe than you drive your own car. And so the thing of it is, like, your car is safer when you're not driving it, which is kind of weird, right? Yeah. Even, but you don't want to let anybody borrow your car because yeah. you're nervous that they're going to break it, right? Yeah. And so you know, or crash it or whatever. And so the thing with trust is, if we've done a good job hiring, and we trust the people. Our culture's clear, right? We know we know who's working for us. If I put trust in you. 
right? Then I need to allow you to go make decisions. But as long as I give you a box that you can operate in, right, and I start to coach you on how to make a good decision and course correct, course correct rapidly, we can permeate, we can push that down through the organization, right? And now we can really be agile. Yeah, that training folks, uh, training managers on how to do that and give them the confidence because it's a little nerve wracking, right? Yeah. When somebody first gives you trust, you're like, I don't want to screw this up, right? Yeah, giving them the confidence, like that's another thing we're trying to learn how to do. So, yeah. cool. Well, anything else you wanted to add, Mike? I mean, you covered. We covered a lot so. of territory I'm in all this over discussion. The place, so that's cool. <laughs> Cut it up, you know. Make me sound smart. <laughs> no, no. I think uh, I think I've covered anything. Is if there's any other questions that you have. No? No. That's good. Thanks for coming in, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Thanks. See you. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. It's our goal to help you build an amazing team. So if this episode helped you, then please share it with a friend so it helps us get the word out about the show. Managing the Way is a production of Waypoint, a tool built for you, the manager, to help you foster an amazing team. Check it out at waypointhq.com. And if you have any feedback for the show, we'd love to hear from you. You email us at podcast at waypointhq.com.